Welcome everyone to the next episode of the Caterpillar podcast. And today Jedi is back, or maybe it's Sam posing as Jedi, we will never know. Uh, yeah. No guest tonight though. And uh, so we can, we, we, I, we did try yeah. this week, but it was, um, it sometimes we takes failed. a little bit to hear back from people. So we were unsuccessful with the couple of people we tried this week. So just us for a change. Cause. You know, that would be so different from all the other ones that we've done while we're both in it, I suppose. Anyway. Yeah, so, yeah, there's, I... there's not so much news this week, but there are some things, you know, ongoing events that there are to, to talk about. And we do have one article we're going to cover, which is oh, quite yes. a substantial one. I mean, the newest thing right now is Black Friday. Yes, you could hardly has... fail to have noticed that if you've logged into the client at all. There's even a special port. Yes. And you can now gamble to your heart's content. But yeah, at least and... you can see your odds. Yes, this is, this is the interesting thing, is that we now see odds for each and every uh, item. So uh, for every Black Friday container, it's uh, the odds of getting a ship out of it are 12%, which is probably a bit better than i was expecting i mean it's still not great but 12 percent's not terrible i mean uh there is a great article on reddit for for the math right so i think you need like 19 containers until you have a 90 plus percent chance to actually mm -hmm. get a ship so keep in mind that statistics they like 12% doesn't mean that after like 10 boxes, you'll guaranteed to have a ship or like nine boxes or so that that's not mm -hmm. how statistics work. So keep, keep always yeah, that in mind, right? That's 12% every single time you're opening a box. It's not kind of, uh, but there is the, I'm pretty sure, is it with Black Friday we've got the pity mechanic in play finally, or is that going to be um, holiday boxes? Question. I remember that's... them talking about the pity mechanic yes. and I can't remember if it applies to... The they said something, yeah. but I don't think so. I mean, I haven't seen anything about the, but, you know, I might have missed it. They, they said that they want to introduce like a pity mechanic, but I'm not sure if that's in place already or how it works. Yeah. You would think that they have plastered a lot of it if it's, if it's there. Um, so we've got a couple of new ships. Uh, there's the Dunkirk B, Pomern B, Saipan B, Loyang B, and the big ticket item is the Yoshino B. There's actually a note yes. on there saying it might be subject to further balancing changes if you buy it. So the, there is that kind of... Uh, I mean, they've just finally there. accepted that even premium ships might need rebalancing, which would have been good if they'd started from doing so. But that's, yeah. that's one of the good things that came, I think, this year, that they finally be like, yeah, okay, maybe maybe premium ships need rebalancing after all. I, I like, I mean, if they keep a cautious approach to it, I will definitely prefer that as opposed to uh, War Thunder, which almost, uh, and other games as well, I'm sure do this. Um, I think League of Legends kind of, uh, sort of infamously does this as well. They they almost do a bait and switch where they sell a vehicle and it might perform really really well, and then you know the people that buy it get to enjoy it being overpowered for a while, but then they just kind of nerf it to the point where it maybe isn't worth playing anymore. And War Thunder's done that over and over and over a whole bunch of times, and I'm, I'm pretty sure League of Legends is known for 
nerfing heroes a bit after they've released and after all the initial sales are over, coincidentally. Uh, yeah, so I mean... Kind of, I will give Wargaming that, that they don't do that, but yeah, sometimes ships do need a bit of rebalancing. I mean, there is the thing that once you release something... Like, the company, obviously, a bit overpowered sales, right? So companies design things to be more on the strongest side, but they often don't get the balancing right because they like the data of a widespread release. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's it's probably partially because they, uh, they, they know that they need to make something a bit too strong for it to properly sell or entice people. And this would be fine if they would let people play, you know, stuff on the test server and they could get data out of the new ships. And I'm sure if they were allowing people to play upcoming um, premium ships, you know, more people would play in the test server to see what they're like. But then... Yeah, I mean, they could even test it before they buy it. Imagine yeah, that. but uh, Wargaming's not quite that consumer-friendly. <laughs> <laughs> not by a long shot. So, uh, yeah, I mean, um, I don't know if there's uh, anything else. I haven't actually checked Reddit for news on Black Friday stuff, but... Um, all I've yeah. seen was that that one article basically that like did uh, the chances. Uh, it's something fairly highly upvoted there. Yeah, the the Dunkirk is a bit different. The rest of them that you just buy, but the Dunkirk is at the end of uh, one of these little chains, and it it doesn't seem like it adds up to that much. Although I haven't actually toted it up, so it's still it's going to be a couple of thousand gold. To get to the point where you're getting the Dunkirk for the two thousand gold, um, but yeah, I mean it, it's it's uh, also with the six point commander and a, a slot, and you get all the everything before that point. So if nothing else, it might be worth going for that. Uh, but I'm not sure how it works out maths wise versus buying a normal Dunkirk. Uh, that that also I don't know. But yeah, I I mean, you know, but it's Black Friday as we expected. I just would tell people, like, beware of your odds if you gamble and be aware that you can just buy the ships outright if you, yes. if you want a specific ship. I mean, if I was going to point to any of them that I would say, hey, maybe consider this in particular. I mean, the low Yang with the discount. Off, off a normal tier 8 price and the low yang is still a good tier 8 destroyer and that 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 was probably the the best kind of uh, bang for your buck but i mean if you haven't bought any of the previous ones then those are all still available too so things like the Shanhorst b or the otago b uh are also i would say pretty decent value or if you really want a battleship you know the Battleships are definitely cheaper than the regular premium cost. So even even if you wouldn't get the, did they? There was something about the the missions thing because previously it's been you only got the special missions if you owned both versions uh, of yeah. the, the ship. Uh, there was something about that, and I forgot what it is. Yeah, but, but previously it was like if you bought the black version, you got the mission, even though you might not have had the original ship, because the idea was to get a discount if you have both, and now you only get the mission if you have both, and you can complete them with both ships, right? So if you have like the regular Massachusetts, right. and you buy the black one, you get the mission, and uh, you can okay. complete it by playing uh, playing the black one. 
Okay, so there is uh, there is some benefit if you have both, but I mean, uh, if you're just looking to pick up a, a, a discounted tier eight premium, I mean, the, the price of going up between tier eight and the tier nine ships is a pretty steep difference. But uh, yeah, I, I would say some of them, you know, if you've got the doubloons sat around and you desperately want a Massachusetts or a Turpitz or an Otago or a Cossack or, or you know, Loyang, then this is probably a decent time to buy one because it's not that often that you get any kind of substantial discount on yeah. uh, premium ships. It's that still a shame was... that they don't just sell, like, the black cam when they make the ships. But... Yeah, that that would be nice. I mean, I suppose the best you could do is uh, the, the, uh, the black consumable camo, but... Yeah. yeah, it's not quite the same. Well, clearly, I mean, you know, they did it this way just because they figured this is going to make them more money overall. Yeah, it's also like the discount that you get if you have both is like an indirect one, right? It's not that, oh, you have a Loyang, now you can buy a black Loyang cheaper. It's like, okay, you have a Loyang, if you buy the black one, you get a mission to get some doubloons back. But you've already spent the money to them. Now you have the doubloons to spend, which is nice, but ensure that you still have to pay the full price for the ship that you already have just because you like the black skin more in a sense yeah it's, i mean apart from the discount it's probably less appealing because you're not going to get any benefit out of that as with the um like having both of them and having having then the missions uh potentially but if you don't really care about that it, it's a discounted you know high tier premium ship so it's it's from a consumer point of view i think it's not bad and the fact that we now have the actual drop odds on the the black friday containers themselves uh i think overall this is not a bad event from a consumer point of view overall yeah i mean uh if you want to gamble, you can gamble. If you want to buy them directly, you can buy them directly and you can get some ships at a discount. So, I, yeah, I, I don't have strong feelings about the event either way, I guess. <laughs> I'm slightly sad that, as I said, that the black thing isn't a, a camel. But other than that, fair enough, I'd say. Yeah, it's definitely the, the kind of uh, monetization that overall just feels... That, that feels okay, right? I mean, yeah, it feels relatively fair. And you know that that's probably the best you can ask for in a, pre- a free-to-play game. True, realistically. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess we can move on then to to uh, basically uh, super ships and uh, arms race because we've now had some time to actually play them. If you, well, I mean, I haven't really played super ships. I've watched other people do it. Yeah, same, same, same here. I, I've I've not actually gotten. I've got three of the four tokens needed to unlock a super ship. So it's. Yeah, uh, I, I guess I can I can just try a ranked battle to get that, that fourth token that I need. Um, but as for arms race, yeah, I've played that, and um, I I've been. I mean, it's arms race. I've been quite enjoying it overall. Uh, I don't know if there's there's anything super substantially different about it this time around. I, I still 
would like to see it, especially as it's restricted to tier nine and tier ten only. Mm -hmm. I, I would really like it if it was something that would just come in the random rotation every so often. Uh, instead of being its own separate mode, but uh, that's personal preference, though. I mean, I mean, they said that they they are testing arms race and they wanna. Uh, I mean, in in I think a while back in Dev Club Wargaming said they want arms race as part of the random battle rotation, which I would like. Okay. Uh, because you know, now and then it just mixes things up a bit, and eventually people would actually no, okay, they won't learn that objectives are important, but. <laughs> It's, I mean, it's, it's not too different than, uh, well, I mean, you kind of start off on it being not too different than um, um, uh, domination games, but then it... it I it, mean, um, it's, it's no problem. Like, in domination, if you don't get a cap early, you are not out of the... I mean, you, I've yeah. won plenty of games through points, right? You have to... to get caps eventually, and if the enemy gets over a critical point then you probably lose even if you take the ships back in a sense, right? But it's more slow, right? If in Domination you just fail to get a cap early, it's fine. As long as you get it in time, right? In in like Arms Race, if the enemy just gets too many buffs, then it snowballs quite heavily. So in a sense, the, the biggest issue with Arms Race is that it can snowball quite heavily and maybe make more one-sided battles. But on the other hand... With the heal and so on, I think it also has the potential to, like, like if your ship is low, you can basically fall back, and if you have a heal, you can heal back up again and come back. So, I don't know. It, it has the potential to snowball very heavily. It also has the potential to create longer battles if people play conservatively and get the right buffs. Um, I mean, that's... It's definitely got a different pace of play. And um, the, the, I mean, it, it kind of is, it sort of sits in between domination and uh, standard games with the fact that you get the cap circle appearing after a while. And then it, it yeah, well, maybe not even uh, um, standard games, more like Epicenter or something like that, where it all becomes focused around that one point. But yeah, I kind of like that more initial skirmishy play style, and um, especially in a destroyer. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh... the, the thing is that obviously if you don't have a ship that can go for the objectives, you're entirely at the mercy of your team because, I mean, that's that's probably one of the, in a way, downsides of Arms Race is that it gives destroyers even more carry potential than they usually have by going for objectives because if you're like in a battleship, you can't just, like, I mean, some some buffs appear relatively on your side, but mm -hmm. most buffs you can't just sail a battleship into them. So if oh, a destroyer sound really <laughs> Yeah, sure. <laughs> and you probably have death struck them in your destroyer. <laughs> and had a good laugh about it. But it's it's the thing where, you know, you're a bit more on the mercy of your destroyers. So I can understand that if people who primarily like to play like other ships might not be as enthusiastic about this. I've definitely seen like I've only played a couple of games today and there were I think two or three of them where there was only one or two cruisers per side. So cruisers seem to be not a hugely popular choice overall. Lots of battleships and um, sometimes plenty of destroyers. But then again, I have had one or two where there's only been a single or two destroyers per team, especially if there's only one destroyer. It, yeah. it slows, thing down, slows things down an awful lot because... Uh, uh, if they misplay and get themselves taken out early, uh, that that can have a 
fairly dramatic effect because you know the other team then has a much easier time grabbing the uh, more central buffs. I mean, I feel like um, the problem that cruisers probably have is that that the like the the buffs aren't favor them that much in a sense, right? The battleship is in a way very durable if you don't get deleted by torpedoes or shuffle broadside or something like that. But even that, you might have a better chance of surviving than than a cruiser, right? So getting the like more hit points is nice for a battleship. Getting the the heal right because battleships tend to be a lot of people play the battleships fairly passive, so that gives them even more tools to stay longer in the game and profit from the buffs very well. While cruisers have always the chance of getting deleted, and if battleships mm-hmm. have more staying power, that cruiser is always no matter how many buffs it gets, it's always just one like uh, death struck away, right? Like. Even if it angles, you know, with the overmatch, the higher tiers, every cruiser would have to constantly fear that that one battleship salvo like will end it. So I feel like they might be profiting a bit less from the buffs. Even if they get like the more hit points or so on, it's, you know, it, it doesn't really matter if the citadels come rolling in. Yeah, I mean, I have tried one or two cruiser games, and it has been purposefully in the more armoured, long-range cruisers. I don't think I'd like to try it in something really squashy like the Goliath. Yeah, it's also that with, like, the points more shifting, right, you'd have to reposition, well, because the, the, a lot of the cruisers, like, the more so you want to get that right island where you can, like, maybe raid a that cap and can develop the shells and so on. But with the points shifting, like the, the combat shifts a lot more. If you want to like be relevant to the objectives, you have to reposition a lot more. And there's mm. a lot less chance that you find that, that great position or that great island, I feel like. I mean, yes. And also, especially with the more uh, island campy uh, um, cruisers, yeah. uh, the, the fact that the the battle tends to shift around more over time as the the different buffs appear in different places and then you get the central cap circle. It, it kind of shifts the focus around. And uh, if you're just sat behind one island the whole time, you know, the battle can end up kind of moving elsewhere where you can't actually shoot anything. So, I mean, a lot depends on the map that you get as well. Some maps are going to be better. Yeah, and, and where exactly the buffs spawn. Yes. And if you brought like a smoke cruiser uh, or a smoke destroyer with you to smoke, that helps a lot always. But yeah, I mean, overall, I, I hope that arms race becomes a permanent addition if they, you know, especially if it reduces the times so I get standard metal. Yeah, I'm happy. I'm glad to see it back. And also quite glad there's no submarines, not many carriers. <laughs> oh, I've seen a lot of carriers. Well, maybe I've just been lucky. <laughs> and uh, then we obviously have the super ships, which, uh, I mean, what I've seen of them, it's it's rather ridiculous and ludicrous to watch at times. I feel like there needs to be a lot of uh, balancing still done. It's... Uh, I mean, uh, somebody like sent me like two Annapolis replays that I've watched today. It got a crack like both of those games and it's like oh there is a cruiser that is like in the process of turning let me just delete that oh there is a cruiser that has shown broadside for a second oh let me just delete that it's like the amount of shells that you can uh, let out with the burst mode is just insane Mm. 
like it makes like a Minotaur look like like a toy, and it's it's not like small guns either. <laughs> uh, no, so, and I mean, there's probably a lot of work to be done to properly balance those ships. So we will will just have to see. They might have gone slightly too ridiculous with some of those things. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely still in the tuning phase. Uh, I mean, it's probably overall a good thing that they have limited the number that can be in-game in any, uh, at any one moment. I mean, far more so than, than subs. And the fact you're only getting a one-day rental at a time. So it's it's a way for them to get data, I guess. Yeah. But if, if you're on the wrong end of it, it's still going to be potentially... Quite I mean, painful. it's still sad I'm using, I want to call it, that this is basically in a rank because they have dropped every pretense. I mean, they've dropped in the past, but it's like becoming clear that it's basically, there is alpha testing that is ranked, and there is beta testing that is random battles, and then there is never going to be a finished World of Warships again, I think. Definitely a lot less emphasis on the test server, but it, it I don't know, they, they, they've just... I think for a lot of people never quite made it worth the the while to yeah. have a whole separate you know spend the time downloading the client and actually playing sufficient i mean for battles. the longest time you needed your uh, different account even yeah and the fact that you know this is actively taking away from time you could be spending trying to grind out missions perhaps that you're you know trying to do on the live server there's no kind of tie in between the two so yeah. I mean, I these think, days, at least you, I think you get the um, community tokens, whatever it is called. Yeah, yeah. But, but like, it, it feels like that they, they always approach the test a bit from the, the wrong thing. It, it feels a bit like the, uh, the operations, right? Basically, Wargaming didn't provide people with a proper reward for their time because they basically wanted people to actually play test their game, right? They wanted to do them a job in a sense, but they weren't willing to give a proper reward. And then they were like, well, nobody does it. And those people that do it, they, I mean, on the one hand, yes, people play different on the test server anyway, because they're trying out new stuff, stuff that they don't really have on the live server. And they might just use it to test a ship that they don't have unlocked. And they care a lot less about their stats because it's a separate server just to fooling mm-hmm. around for them. But on the other hand, they also never really like gave people a reason to go through the trouble of uh, downloading another client and that they, they never made it that easy or obvious to access. They never made it that rewarding to do so. And then they always wondered, well, we aren't getting a lot of data from it. At least it's a way for us who aren't in the program anymore to, to play around with these ships and uh, have a look at what they're about. I mean, you can always look at stats, but that's not the same thing as actually getting to play it. So, which one are you most particularly interested in? Because I've been, I think I've had my eye most on the Kano. Not just because of that funky split funnel that's going on. I mean, interested. Obviously, like, I like my brawling battleships, so the Hanover, it's just a bigger, like, the Hanover feels like the natural in a way, evolution of, like, a core fist. It's just mm-hmm. a bigger core fist, in a sense, right? 
and it has something that boosts the secondaries and I like that secondary playstyles, so the handover is basically right up my alley. And then there is obviously my favorite ship in the game is the Shimakasi, so the Yamagiri looks kind of uh, inviting to me. Like, the, the, the biggest issue I've always had with the torpedoes is... Like the 20 kilometer torpedoes are in a very niche case, right? They, there are situations where I'd like them, like when you're in the ocean, which happens once a year. And it, it never like, you, you bring them because you hope it will be this one fun game where the 20 is actually matter and it never is, right? Because mm. we've all had a 20 kilometer game that was hilarious in the past and we hope to recreate it, but it's just never a good choice. And... If you have that option, right, in, within a battle that you can switch which types of torpedoes you have, that's a cool feature. And I feel like that would be something that they could do to other ships as well. I I mean, I, I would honestly, like, in terms of it um, being, uh, in, you know, range and speed a bit, and obviously that probably affects the uh, concealment of the torps as well, but uh, if you could switch between regular torps and deepwater torps, I mean, the thing about deep water types so, is that yeah, they, they, they I know they're, really... they're, they're less useful against a lot of targets, but the increased concealment might help you in some situations. Yeah, yeah. I mean, switching between normal and deep water would be an amazing feature, but I like the concern is that I feel like deep waters are deep waters are in a weird place because they are so stealthy that it makes dodging them so incredibly hard unless you have hydro and so on. Deep waters are easily too punishing in a sense. Like I feel like deep waters have never been the most Well the Japanese edition. Anyway, the Asashios ones which yeah. do so much damage. So I mean obviously you can balance a lot of parameters by them. But yeah. Uh I mean it would make deep waters out more interesting if you could switch to regular ones if you need them. But I feel like alone that that you can play like with the range of the torps, you get like worse ones, but they are longer range and then better ones for close combat and such that you can pick the right weapon for the right opportunity. No, I feel like that, that's it's, nice. Yeah, it's definitely one I would. I, I'm one of the ones I'm more interested in uh, looking at myself. And such, I mean, there's something like the, the Annapolis. It, I, I like my Des Moines, so it, it looks like a ship in a sense hilarious, but I don't know. It's, uh, I mean, I, I'd have probably a laugh in it. Like they would have something going for them, well, some more than others, but yeah, I, I don't know if there's any of them that I would point out and go, well, that's just awful. But some of them, I don't really have enough of a, a reference to their yeah. contemporaries, like the, the Zorki, for instance. Yeah, I couldn't judge the Zorki properly. I'm also not that interested in the Conde because I'm not really that much into the French playstyle, I guess. Hmm. I think that that concerns me about the whole autoloader thing and also in a way like the Satsuma, like... Uh, uh, accuracy boost and so on. I feel like, you know, they are, they're going more towards like extreme burst damage. And that's always a problem, right? Especially if it's then focused on like a tier nine or so, even mm. not just a tier 10. I mean, it's like getting one shot is never a, a fun game mechanic. If, if you basically. Yeah. Um, I, I yeah. can't help but think of the, um, gosh, was it the, 
French destroyers it would have been when we were very first testing those way back and they the the initial um reload booster that they had was completely OP. Like you could trigger a reload booster and gun down a destroyer almost to the almost to it, it dying. And if it had already lost some hit points, then it was a guaranteed kill pretty much. So yeah, I mean it's not like they we haven't had experience of this before and they they yeah. like they should be aware of the potential for these kind of first reload mechanics to uh make the gameplay really not fun for other people so yeah Hope- hopefully they have that lesson in mind but i guess we'll see i mean the thing is when what i've seen from the annapolis is right so generally you're better off not using like your burst thing oh if you wanted to go for damage over time right but if you just see you can like if your guns are reloaded you can easily switch to instantly to the other fire mode and then you just have to go through the long reload once you've fired your, your guns, basically. But it's like you, you run around in a normal mode, you see somebody is turning broadside, and if somebody turns broadside, you only have like this, this short, you know, window of opportunity before they make the turn. And you just go to your burst fire and you put like a, a bazillion shells into them and they just instantly are deleted. And it's like, mm-hmm. I, I look at this and I have a laugh and then I think like, is this really what the game needs though? I suspect this is heavily influenced by the um, the auto reloader tanks in World of Tanks, especially, yeah, especially sure. the Italians, where it's the exact that exact thing of, of um, you you can fire all your shells, but it ends it, you know you, you get that burst damage, but you can end up with a, with a much longer reload, and uh, it it can be really horrible to be on the other end of that because somebody just pops up and pow 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 puts three or four shells in and takes a huge chunk of your hit points all at once. And yeah, it's it's nasty. It really is nasty. So I I, I don't know if I especially want that in, in World of Warships, but I'll, I'll I'll have to maybe play the Annapolis to see if it if it feels quite as uh, nasty as some of the Italian tanks do. I mean well, we'll have to wait and see. What I also have to say is with your comparison to tanks, in tanks at least you're sort of vulnerable, right? Because uh a tank is usually easier to destroy or faster to destroy than a ship, unless the ship shows for broadside or something. Mm-hmm. Right? And I feel like in a tank, you are much more vulnerable if you go through the reload of being rushed or being taken out or being in a bad spot. While in a ship, going through like a bit of a longer reload is usually not that big of a deal. Especially, I mean, if it's, it depends on the, like, like how stealthy you can make it overall. Uh, if if it's if you get that chance to just do the burst reload and then withdraw, then yeah, that's, it's not really that big of a penalty. No, I mean, if like in in warships, you're much more out in the open anyway, right? In World of Tanks, you'd never like go for an open field, uh, like shoot somebody and then just you know continue on or turn away or something. Like if mm. in World of Warships, that's a very common thing, right? So being like not able to shoot back for, and I mean, it's not like the reload is that long. But having this slightly longer reload while you are like sailing out there is not going to make that big difference, I think, in warships. But in tanks, you might just be really vulnerable and get uh, gunned down in that period. Especially, as, I mean, it's a lot easier to use cover, hard cover. I mean, that, that's kind of not taking smoke into the equation, but you know, someone can pop out of cover, empty their auto loader clip, and. Uh, 
just pop yeah. back into cover and then be fairly invulnerable, except maybe to artillery. Or if burst 25 of torpedoes. I, well, I mean, SJR, that's a bit different, I would say, because, yes, the torpedoes can already, like, delete the ship in one go, and that can be very frustrating anyway. But the, the, the biggest, I guess, defense about torpedoes is that you, you can't aim them, like, they, they are delayed, and that means you can't really necessarily know for certain where a ship will be, which makes, like, gives you some countermeasures by driving unpredictably or, or things like that. There are certain things like hydro that can help you. Like somebody shooting like 50 shells into your broadside in two seconds, there is really like, I mean, not show broadside is the answer, obviously. But the thing is, if, if like every slight turn that you make, if, if you show too much broadside for a second, you immediately get deleted. On the one hand, obviously you want the ships to be punished for like misplaying, but there is, that there, there has to be some amount of balance, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody is willing to like show anything anymore. You know? out of anything if they like the more damage there is around the more passive sense but it needs more tense thing and balancing anyway this is just what i've seen so far and people need to get used to playing against those yeah there's that element um yeah i mean it's 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 kind of hard to exactly Correlate the uh, the mechanics between warships and and uh, world tanks, but uh, yeah, it's it's sort of interesting to think that there might be that influence from one to the other. I mean, there's there's, there's French auto loaders as well, but they're very squashy, and they they're saddled with a very long reload as well, so they kind of have to like that's all they have, so they have to put out the the a burst of damage potentially and then run away and hide for the better part of a minute so yeah i mean aren't they like our us autolo wasn't there like the heavy autolo or something yeah like, a couple of different nations have them now yeah. I, it's been obviously many years since i played world of tanks but i've uh i think i've uh, was wasn't there like a us heavy i remember yeah there was some us yeah exactly and there's it's one there's of the few autoloaders tanks before that um but they're kind of more like Auto-loading shotguns. <laughs> not, not very reliable in terms of accuracy, but fairly quick reload. But yeah, I, I don't know if there's anything... like It, it is the Italian ones that are, are I think, closest to the, the Annapolis, just because you almost have that choice of fire modes where you can keep up just the standard rate of fire or you can have that burst at a cost of a longer reload. Yeah, I've never... I, I, th- those came after my time. So, yeah, we'll see that the uh, I think the 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 burst damage ones definitely have the the biggest potential to be imbalanced. I think I agree with I mean, you there. I mean, we could take this as a segue to talk about balance. Yes, that's <laughs> that's that's our main topic for today. So we've got this nearly twenty-five minute video accompanying this article. Which yes. Mostly rehashes what's in the video, I think. Uh, yes. Sort of, sort of condenses it down. And, I mean, it's... Uh, I mean, once again, I like it when they share their, their thought process and the things with yeah. us, but it's 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 um, unintentionally funny at times. Like, for example, the start. 
But I say to achieve its important for each battle of equal opportunity effect, battle outcomes, regardless of the ship they choose to helm into battle. Which basically contradicts their own policy because the thing is, they know that carriers have an overproportional impact on battle. They have mm-hmm. stats to show that they know that. And uh, basically they say this shouldn't be the case, but they refuse to change carriers because it's, otherwise they don't hit their population numbers. So they already designed a described balance at something that they are unwilling to do in the first paragraph because they've already in the past told us that, you know, uh, no, the carriers need a certain population number. So basically, you know, it's it's basically... <laughs> I kind of, I kind of worry start. about subs are going to become the exact same thing as well, that yeah. they're going to get pushed around a lot and um, maybe overbuffed just to increase their appeal. And uh, that, you know, I already don't like subs particularly, the thought of subs being made, like, stronger just to get more people playing them. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if if they were true to this, this would be amazing. But that's exactly what balance is, in a way. Yes, everybody should have about the equal importance. Mm-hmm. Like it should be your skill that matters, and not the ship yeah. that you bring in. But they they are not going for that. So they are already I, I, basically. I was kind of, yeah, the fact that the, the, there's a whole section in the video where they're talking about um, that they want everybody, regardless of whether they're in a battleship or a cruiser or a destroyer, to feel like they have a, an equal. Uh, impact on on a game, and that's actually sort of fairly far from <laughs> most people's <laughs> experience of playing. I would, I would guess. I mean, I it's also like it's it's carrier aside. This doesn't seem to be the aim the way they design ships because it's clear that, like for example, a cap focused destroyer or so might have more influence or more carry potential, as we'd call it, as maybe let's say a French cruiser who is more likely to just be a long-range damage dealer, right? And you can certainly carry the game by doing damage, but it's a lot harder than if you have a, a additional opportunity to, to take objectives and carry your team that way. It's like, I would say that like different ships already have vastly, well, vast, vastly different carry potentials depending on what role they fill in, in the game, right? So... It, it was definitely a massive oversimplification I mean, I, I don't want if you, I don't know if you would want to call it being disingenuous, but it was certainly uh, not really that close to the reality. I mean, they simply define what balance is. That that's the thing, right? This is just a definition for them what balance is, but they are not trying to achieve that, right? Basically, their own definition of balance is not something that they actually try to achieve. This is where I find it so funny. Because the first start, they already state something that's not actually their goal with what they are doing and what they have done in the past. So it it makes for a great start. (laughs) Uh. Well, I mean, they go on with uh, that, that... Each player perceives fairness and balance differently. That's very true, right? Because, I mean, obviously we are all biased towards the ships that we like, mm-hmm. and we would like the ships that we like to perform better. And then there is the fact that, you know, you might not be properly able to evaluate how good a ship is, because maybe you've never played it, you've only fought against it, or maybe you're just inexperienced and you don't know how to properly counter something. So, yeah, that is very true. You have and, to keep and- in mind... 
the majority of players are also going to be uh, at best working with uh, a woefully small data set for any given ship, unless yeah. they are religiously playing the same ship over and over and over and over. You yeah, know, if you play like a ship for ten battles, like RNG, like if you play battleship for ten battles, RNG, how good like your accuracy is can vary widely, right? As a person who like plays a ship, and first impressions are also very important. If you play a ship like five battles, and RNG just isn't very kind to you, you might be like, oh, this is crap. So that's why it's very important, I guess, that you take on the one hand actual statistics and on the other hand feedback. And obviously you interpret the statistics the right way. Which is also a fun part because somewhere down there in the article they say that it's very, they say exactly that, that it's very important to, to uh, take feedback into account and that uh, community and like the developers should work together for balancing. That was exactly my point in the past that I tried to make to them because they basically ignored everything we said, right? When we were contributors and we provided input, then they were like, no, 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 we, we do the balancing, not you guys, basically. They were like, you were wrong. But now they basically state exactly what we've tried to preach to them for the past years, that should be like, we should be working together. If they actually got that right now, I would, that would be amazing. But I'm afraid that it, well, we will see if there's empty words at all. But maybe they finally got the message. It is. I mean, they did make quite a, a big song and dance almost about um, feedback generally. So maybe trying to counter the sort of perceived long-running criticism that that they don't listen to player feedback or CC feedback and... Uh, it almost feels a bit more like the stuff about stats is definitely interesting, and like you say, it's it's yeah. good to have this this kind of insight overall. But there are definitely elements of this article that feel more like, dare I say, propaganda. I mean, what I also like when you go further in the article is like they say that the feedback is very important. However, the the projects of warships is very complex and it goes even more complex with each new release. To find the cause of player dissatisfaction, we often need to solve a huge tangle of interconnections. I mean, that's not fair, you know. <laughs> I mean, that part's definitely fair. Well, yes and no. If, if people tell you, look, we don't like uh, smoke cruisers that have a 19 kilometer range and can spam you from half the map away and we can't do anything about it, that's a very clear, you know, message yeah. that's not, they don't need to entangle why people are angry about it. It's that war gaming often just, you know, I don't know, they, they, they don't want to accept that people actually tell them what they want or something. War gaming is just often like, like no, 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 it, it, you don't know what you want. I know what you want. <laughs> yeah, that there is sometimes that element of, of um, like sometimes there is that kind of unambiguous message about certain things. And to be fair, sometimes it's blown up over nothing. Like the... Uh, the thing they always point to is probably one of the, the few big examples of when there was a, a fairly big backlash from everybody was when radio location oh, yeah. came in. And uh, there were some people that were predicting it was just going to be like the end of the game kind of thing. And of course, that was completely yeah, yeah. overblown as it turned out. It wasn't without impact, but it, it was, um, uh, you know, people were sort of latched onto it as this big dramatic thing and uh, it, it didn't turn out to be anything close to that. 
No, it's well, not like you know, the community is always right. right. You know, I, I'll never say that, right? That's that's why it also should be working together between the de- developers and the community, right? And I also say that statistical data is important. It's not like you should balance solely on feedback, right? But if, if they have, like, basically, if there is a lot of feedback, like, against something like RPF, but the developers feel very strongly it's going to be fine, then what you do, the best course of action is to try it and have a backup plan if it doesn't work. Because if something like that blows up, you will feel fairly quickly if it doesn't work. Like, let's take everyone's favorite, the uh, dead eye skill, right? And it was the same thing where the community basically told them this is going to be very bad, and Wargaming thought they knew better, like with RPF, but this time the community was right. But I feel like when you go into a situation like that, it's very easy to have a backup plan, because in the end of the day, changing a skill shouldn't be very hard. Like, I'm not sure how this game is programmed, so I can't tell that, but you should make skills in a way that changing them, because you know you need to rebalance them anyway, so you definitely shouldn't make them in a way that makes them very hard to change, in a sense. And you can always have a backup plan prepared, right? You'd be like, you come out with, you know, I we, we heard what you guys think, and we tried anyway, and if it doesn't work, we will react quickly and do this. Because if you have a backup plan, then two weeks later, you saw it didn't work, you already have the data, you just basically be like, okay, sorry guys, you were right. At least, you know, you, you do something like that. Yeah, it does a little bit feel like they kind of... They were caught completely like, unaware. Oh, they, yeah. It felt like that first they didn't want to admit that it was wrong, even though it was obvious after two weeks. It took them one and a half months, I think, to admit that the community was right, and then further one and a half months to copy-paste another skill in. So... It, that shows just how unprepared they were for that fact because they didn't have a backup plan and they were scrambled to find anything and then they put a skill in that they already knew didn't belong at year four. So this was a very, very uh, panicked uh, thing where they didn't, like, they, they absolutely were caught with their pants down. And that shouldn't, like, your, your approach to balancing shouldn't be if everybody tells you this is a bad idea. If you still want to try it, then you at least need to have, you know, a way out. Especially yeah, if it's alternative, so a plan B. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they don't really do that. Now, now that you've pointed out, yeah, they just kind of make these changes with... It seems quite often like the assumption of, oh, it's just going to be, you know, it'll be fine. We know best. It'll work out. And you know Sometimes what, so... it does, but when it doesn't, it's pretty notable and pretty you know noticeable. What's so sad? I feel like if you are like designing new skills, that's that's how I imagine it, right? You have brainstorming, like you have a team that goes over potential skills that you could add, and then you discuss which ones you'd like to have in the game, and you discuss how powerful they should be and where they should be going. But there is going to be a large brainstorm. You 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 would always end up with way too many ideas, right? Some of them maybe not quite feasible, but some of them you just feel like aren't the best ideas, right? So you will always have a backup idea in a sense, right? I can't believe a situation where a big company like this doesn't get enough ideas for another skill that they cut out because they felt it's just not fitting enough. So you already have basically the backup. You already have the the, mm. the skill that just didn't make the cut. We're like, okay, if this doesn't work, then we'll just take the other. Right? So would, I mean, I, I would that that would be great if they would. You know, as part of the changes they're they're trying to make, if that's something they would have in mind, but I don't know if they've said anything even remotely to that effect. So, 
now it, it's just baffling me because I mean I felt like the whole commander skill thing was rushed anyway probably they needed it for subs because there was so much potential that wasn't realized it felt like it was just a rushed halfway but like if you make like big changes it's oftentimes not that hard to have a backup prepared if you're unsure if it's working or not and it feels like wargaming just often is like well if this doesn't work well crap uh you guys hang on for a few months we will think of something Well, anyway, coming, I guess, back to the article again, they, they said that basically they've uh, improved also the data gathering. Um, they, they said something about server capacity, and uh, I mean, obviously, right, if you, you want to collect data, there's a lot of data to collect in, in a uh, given battle, and then there is even more time needed to process the data and make the right statistics of it. I mean, if, if you feel like your servers aren't capable of gathering live data, they could always just score, uh, I guess, store replays and then evaluate them. But I guess Maybe. it still needs server capacity. Without any kind of uh, technical knowledge, it's kind of hard to comment too deeply on this side. I mean, it would have been nice if they'd given some more uh, specific examples about how their data um, collection is refined over time, because it's not just the amount of data that you're collecting, but you have to be collecting the right kind of data. I mean, it's, it's entirely possible that you could end up with a huge data set that doesn't actually tell you anything useful. True. Um, but yeah, because that was one of the points that they made that, you know, it's, it's uh, something that they've significantly worked on and refined over time. It just would have been nice to have some examples of what, what exactly they meant by that. I mean, they did give some examples of, of sort of, specific things at specific times. I mean, there's this Des Moines chart and they talked about yeah. the, uh, what was it, one of the campaigns increasing the number of Des Moines that were being played? Yes. Uh, that, uh, basically, you see popular. They only showed a Des Moines, but I presume the others are the other cruisers, right? And we see hmm. that when the event started, basically Des Moines spiked and all the other ships sort of-ish. Well, I mean, some of them went up. It could be that the other one that went up might be a booster because they said something about US cruisers, right? So, I mean, the thing is obviously like that, that's a problem with balancing the sense that it's fluid. If you have an event that makes more people play uh, a US cruiser, then there might be more US raiders around and that will affect destroyers and so on. So that's definitely a thing, right? The more popular one ship is, that might influence another ship. So balancing in a sense is complex. I feel like what I should have added in the first part, what is balancing, is that the thing is that the idea that every ship is like equally strong is nice in theory, but you can't really do that in reality because there are also too many moving factors. So at the end of the day, what you try is to get ships to be close enough, right? You might look at win rate and be like, okay, like, I don't know, 49.51, that's balanced, that's 2%. Might be a 2% difference, but we call it balance. And the eternal discussion about balancing is how big can the gap get and still be called balanced. Hmm. But yeah, about the data example, that said, for example, how do you estimate how much damage battleships receive from torpedoes? I mean, there are, that's obviously like a specific thing that you'd want to track. Or then how people with this, like, Especially there is this skill, right, that uh, increases your torpedo protection. 
So if you want to know how effective that skill is, you'd have to track data of every battleship, how much torpedo damage do they take on average, uh, and, you know, and then see how much this gets influenced by the skill and so on, right? If you want to proper balance something like specific values like that, you need a lot of specific data. I mean, it would have, this is, again, an area where it would have actually, you know, following off that, it would, it would be really interesting to have some examples if they said, you know, yeah, um, our data shows X number of people use that skill, for example, and, and how that affects, uh, you know, balancing of torpedo damage or torpedo belt damage reduction or, you know, stuff like that. So it, it was, it, it's very sort of broad overview, but... Yeah, it would, it would be nice to have a bit more granularity. Yeah, especially since like what data is collected and how it's interpreted are often very important things. Like when you balance a legendary module, it's not just about how many people use it, but are the people like performing better with it than without it? And you can't just compare all people who use it with those who don't, because there might be different skill sets, right? You have to compare it to to like their overall skills and stuff, or maybe how they performed with the ship before and after and the interpretation of data is always important because back when they talked about legendary module, a lot of the time it's just like they they cared uh, only about how many people slotted it or how the people who slotted it performed, not compared to like their own performance without it, but just to other people. It's like we would need a lot more information about how they collect the data and how they use mm. it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a bit, you know, we used to collect less data. Now we collect more data. <laughs> I mean, it's it's giving some idea of, of um, like, you can sort of read behind the lines and, and this old, old joke at this point of, you know, everything's done by spreadsheet. But it, it does, if nothing else, tell you quite how data-driven that they are and how, how much they've become. Uh, about that data and, and you know there, there's a lot of useful stuff in there but i, I mean, suppose the, that, that is the standing criticism is that sometimes they seem a bit too much focused on that rather than the player experience but that was i mean that was something they touched on in the video as well and you know yeah. that, that your experience in any given battle uh it's is you know it can be really really different that i think this specifically said at one point something like you know you can play a hundred battles in the same ship in a row and, and each and every one will be uh, a, different. a different experience yeah. largely. Although, you know, you could then sort them into perhaps different categories of battles. Not not every battle is uh, that different of an experience, but um, yeah, it, it's like, I, I, I almost feel like all these sections were more um how can I how can I put this? I'm trying to marshal my thoughts here. Um, that they're trying to manage players' expectations of 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 uh, how they 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 do things, rather than kind of purely give information about how they do things. Which kind of I suppose kind of comes back to what I was saying earlier. And parts sort of feel a bit propaganda ish. I mean, the, the thing is, they, they go on and how they collect more data and learn better how to interpret it. But the problem is that the balancing hasn't gotten better, right? 
So the thing is where they like an article of, yeah, yeah, and we've improved over time and now we just collect metadata and we're able to interpret it better. And it's like, yeah, but then why don't you show any results from that? So <laughs> yeah, no, there are still yeah. some very questionable uh, decisions that, that the that elephant's come along still in the room. Yeah. Also, they have this, like the, the new chart with the player in red. So what the interesting thing is, I've seen this like also on Reddit where people interpreted it as that bad players play more battles than, than the good. But what you have to keep in mind is that like here, when you do the total battles, like this chart, this isn't like how many battles a single player played. This is like all players in this category played this ship that often in a certain time period, right? It's just that the, most logical interpretation is that there are just more people in the lower brackets than there are people in the higher brackets. It doesn't mean that, that a good player has less battles played generally than a bad player. It doesn't mean that people who play 40k battles are on average worse than people who played 5k battles. Hmm. It just means that there are more people in this category. Those are like, the way I understand it, all of those colors are ships. Like we're looking here at maybe like yeah, eight cruisers. And you have like, I don't know, in Edinburgh and Eveland and, you know, whatnot. And this is like, in this bracket, all players that play this ship who have this skill rate summed up. And if there are like 100,000 people in this bracket and only 1,000 people in this bracket, then it makes sense that you know, those bars are a lot smaller there. But what I feel like this, this shows is that, interestingly enough, you'd expect like sort of a, a, a bell curve, right? You'd have very few people who are really bad and very few people who are really good and then the most in the middle. While in mm -hmm. Wargaming, it just seems like it's like a basically a flat line and then it drops down when you go to the upper halves. So most people range from, let's say, very inexperienced to about average and then above average, it just drops very. Yeah, getting getting some visualization out of it is is interesting, I suppose. And actually, looking at uh, although data visualization is a whole art in of itself, like almost literally an yeah. art. Doing it well is actually surprisingly difficult. But I mean, that's that's in in many ways what, like how how you, well, that that's that's what you'd call like. But useful data, I'd say, like, yeah. because you want to compare, like, how different brackets of player skill play a different ship. Because if you see that the ship is played very well, uh, very often in only by good players and not so much by bad players and so on, that gives you important information. And also, you want to know, like, uh, want to evaluate how good a ship is, you have to evaluate over different skill levels and so on. So, that's, that's, uh, very good if they collect data like this. It's a bit concerning if they didn't do that in the past, though, if that's like their new achievement over the years. <laughs> yeah, they, 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 they do seem quite proud. I mean, they've made a very prominent point out of, you know, now now we actually look at the individual player's performance when uh, passing all the other data that we've collected yeah. around that player. It's like, you weren't doing that before? Okay. Oh, also, well, at, least, like, at least they're, they're showing that they now do it in a much more detailed way. Yes, although and there are still questions that I'd have. For example, like account win rate is not necessarily recent win rate. So you, like if you if, if you start the game, like when I started the game, it was pretty bad, right? And over time you get better. And uh, so your account win rate might not actually be like your current skill level. 
and then there's different classes and different tiers and so on. So you need to compare like Cleveland, maybe not to your overall win rate, but more to like other J cruises or something like that. So there is a, there is a lot more. Like there, there are still a lot of traps in. Hmm. The um, the Z fifty two chart below that is is kind of interesting though. Like that 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 is a, an example of specific detail yeah. where they, they show the um, the damage just distribution by weapon type for each of these uh, win rate brackets. And uh, yeah, it clearly shows that like the the higher percentage winners are relying less on their torpedoes and using their guns a lot more, whereas the the lower percentage. Uh, brackets are being, I guess, essentially more passive and uh, relying more on just throwing torpedoes downrange. Yeah, I, I guess it shows that, you know, with the better the players get, the more they use all the armaments that they have available mm-hmm. to them. And, uh, for example, armor piercing, like people that figure out that they can use armor piercing goes up. What would be interesting to know is what they like this this is an interesting chart, but then what decisions would they make based off this chart? Yeah. I mean this chart's just kind of in there on its own. Like what what would they do with this specific set of data, or is this just something they've done as an example of the kind of data they, they can they can collect and uh and uh pass in different ways? Yeah, I also, like, what, what I'm missing from this data is, like, average numbers, right? I mean, percentage-wise, I mean, this does tell us some interesting stuff. But, for example, I would now like to know how big is the average torpedo damage of the compared to, like, other people. And then when we go with the fires, I'd like to see, like, 9% of the damage is fires, even though they don't necessarily use high explosive more often. They do more fire damage. Is that because the people are more likely to mount fire flags? Is it because mm-hmm. they use different skills, like maybe the fire skill? Is it because they just understand how damage cone works and they bait the damage cone and then set fires deliberately? It's like there is a lot of... Like, we, we now see the data and now you've got to ask yourself, why is that? And, you know, I feel like there are... Obviously, they might have that somewhere else but it's like it comes down to how you interpret it and how you said like what what conclusions do you draw from it how does this help you balance them yeah um the next set of examples they give is specific to subs they're talking about how they were able to uh, collect a a variety and a high volume of data about the different metrics that they considered important about submarines again we have a couple of charts so time spent at different submerged level and again it's it's uh, broken up by win rate brackets and they've also got one for sonar ping hits which uh i mean again it's like looking at this data and like what what do you take what useful stuff did did they take from from this yeah, like the higher bracket on the sonar ping one, for instance, actually has a lower percentage than the lowest bracket. Like, I, what what conclusion did they draw from that? You'd think it would be the other way around, but does that just mean that lower percentage 
winners are, are, are what is <laughs> lower win percentage players are just pinging way more often or I, I, I don't know the, the way I understand the ping chart is right that of all the pings that have hit how many were one hits how many were two hits and how many yeah. were neutralized so basically with the higher tier you get more two hits and less one hits because they they basically need less tries to hit two pings right I suppose so. there's, there's not that much difference between the numbers there, there is, is there? And the, well, I mean, the neutralized the, number is pretty much the same. The neutralized the, is pretty much the same because you don't necessarily know. Like when damage cone is running, you just keep pinging, right? You don't have your lock set into lock. Okay, this ship has 20 second damage con. I now have to wait 20 seconds. So you just keep pinging. So I'd expect it to be relatively the same. But for the two hits, I just said it means people have increased accuracy the higher you go. So the higher you go, the less tries they need to okay, double. Yeah, that's just me not reading that graph very well. <laughs> but it does then move into an admission that sometimes they get things wrong. But also, you know, when when you come to like the, the submerged service and battle, once again the graphs are not that different, but I feel like it, it mostly shows that better players are less often at the bottom, right? Like uh, they, they dive less often. Because Probably they want to conserve their, their diving yeah. time for when it's needed uh, and because they want the vision, because they understand how important vision is. That's my interpretation, right? While, I don't know, less experienced players might just, you know, enjoy the underwater scenery or they just want the safety of of not being seen. Yeah. Sort of a, a substantial... Change. I mean, it's only six percent difference, but then you look at the operating depth, and that's eight uh, percent. So, yeah, pe- people are, are just—I don't know—the last good players are just spending more time submerged unnecessarily. I suppose is what we would take from that. But again, what? What? How does this influence their balancing decisions? You know, that—that's the step that we're missing from. True. They've. they've gathered this data i mean true that that that's now the question it also the thing is is it is it because like bad or less experienced players are often in situations where they need to be submerged because they they don't get their positioning right or is it just that they are submerged for no reason or is it that they just don't value spotting as much is it like the thing is it could be that basically they are submerged for no reason, or it could be that they just get themselves into bad situations more often where diving is the only option. And that's something we can't find out with this chart, right? So they'd need more data and mm. that that's vital to, to you know using that data in the right way. Of course, what's also would be interesting is like how effective are they with needles and such, and how much damage do they, like there are a lot of, there's a lot of interesting data missing anyway. Yeah, these are quite specific examples that they've given. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they're also, I guess, not too controversial, right? If they throw out a chart about how much damage does a submarine take, that might have people all up in arms. It just yeah. showed that people with more skill like, hate their pings more often. It's, you know, you're like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not surprised. 
then as you yeah, turn, then... Uh, pointed out, they, they said that they made mistakes. Yes, that's, that's, I, I kind of got ahead of myself a bit. But the, the fact that they're using the Italian battleship branch as their example is interesting because that's one where uh, I remember at the time well, the, a lot of the CCs were saying these are undercooked. They're kind of frustrating to play with the main batteries. They're not doing, they don't feel like they're doing enough damage at the tiers that they're doing. And it took multiple rounds of being buffed where, where they were at the point of uh, actually, um, I guess, now that they're, they're happy with how they're performing, more or less. But, uh, yeah, that that's definitely a case where the CCs were saying fairly unified, you know, they were saying this is, yeah. you know, there's something wrong here, and Wargaming was just like, hey, it's fine. So, yeah, there are plenty of examples of times when they have ignored both their kind of expert feedback and their wider community feedback on things and then been forced to fix things later. So, yeah, that's definitely a prime example, the Italian battleships. Which it's like the whole concept was a bit... Yeah, it's... suspect uh... really. Let, let's make battleships with really horrible accuracy. Okay... Not even, the, the, not even Soviet battleships where you get closer and it's better yeah. accuracy. Just don't, don't terrible accuracy across all ranges. Have fun. I mean, the thing that bothered me about the Italian design is that if you if you do that, then you need to like have a real advantage when you get close. You need to either have like a se- exceptional armor, or good secondary, so you know mm-hmm. other capabilities that make up for it. Because it's fine for a battleship to be bad at range. If it, you know, you then have to design it into a tanky brawler kind of thing. But they refuse to do that because, I mean, obviously mm. your accuracy improves when you get closer, like all other ships, but mm. not in a very specifically fast way, not in an amazing way. And it's, it, you have so small guns that you don't have to overmatch that if you brawl, you can't even go through like a Des Moines nose or something. So it's like, it's like they didn't have the, the traits that you'd expect from a brawling close quarters battleship, but they were also bad at range. <laughs> and then they had Sep on top that most of the time is just useless. And the fact that you only got the like the unique thing of the line was the, the smoke, but you only get that from tier eight up. So that's hardly a like that didn't really make up for the rest of it. <laughs> Yeah, so it's so, a very niche case thing, and yeah. it would pair in, in a way well with a brawler as a gap closer or as an emergency disengage. I mean, emergency disengage is the only thing that the smoke is usually useful for. Like, if you bit off too much, uh, you just silence your guns and you smoke and you try to get out of there while you can. But yeah, they 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 are, as you said earlier, basically half cooked. Right? There they wasn't a a real like idea of how they should perform, what they should build on the battlefield, what how like the playstyle should work. It was just some ideas slapped together. Hmm. Would they do them, themselves in this, you know, the conclusion of this particular section that, that you know numbers are not the whole truth and again trying to convince people, trying to uh, I basically, a bit. 
basically parrot what people have telling them over the years. They are like, oh, what what was people's main feedback? Numbers are not the whole truth. Oh yeah, yeah, that's that's a good one. That's a good one, right? Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, this 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 is genuinely you know uh, uh, a statement that they are. Um, changing how they do things that they are yeah. now more seriously taking that on board and we won't get another situation like with the italian battleships or i can't even think what other lines we've had like that but there probably have been some in the past and um there are even specific examples like Haborovsk, i guess yeah i mean the but, sad uh, part the sad part is that this article isn't like I mean, I said that with the Italians, <clears throat> we made a mistake, but they don't say like, okay, we have approached balancing a bit wrong in the past three years and we now value input more. They basically tell them like, oh yeah, we feedback, very valuable, very important in our balancing. Def definitely, definitely. We listen. I mean, the next is how decisions are made. And apart from drawing numbers of this, we also take guidance from feedback from your players and use our own judgments. So basically, it's statistics plus player, player feedback plus developer experience. But it just, you know, never quite felt that way. It's, yeah, I mean, I suppose on the one hand, it's it's not... Like how easy is it going to be to 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 do that and to sort of have that be a kind of um, what I'm trying to say like a a, a publicly um, for people to have the impression that that yeah. that that's something that they really take seriously like. I mean, there there are ways they could do it, but it, it wouldn't necessarily be be that easy because you're always gonna you're always gonna piss somebody off if I can put it that way. I mean, but um, yeah, it, at, at the moment it does kind of it's still like things are getting maybe a little better in terms of communication generally, but it does still feel like there's that kind of black box of like everything goes into, and then at the end of the day, well, it's it's, it's Kind of wargaming's wishes and and uh, decisions that kind of can override even quite substantial feedback on a particular matter, for example. But I was probably really awkwardly put. Like I kind of know what I mean. Yeah, but, you know, I think I know what you mean. That the one of the problems is that obviously the community feedback. It's not like every body provides the same feedback, right? There are people who mm. look at this and like, this ship is overpowered and the other is, no, this ship is underpowered. And the other person is like, I don't care about this ship. And it's it's like, you know, you get a lot of different feedback and a lot of contradictory feedback. But obviously, when we were contributors, we, re we saw firsthand that our feedback was often met with like, you just don't know, right? We know better yeah. than you without the explanation. So the thing In, is that... Indifference, at worst, occasionally even derision. Yes, and it's like they, they, they can't claim that they really took feedback into account for the last years, or at least back to the point of your contributors, because we knew they basically told us in our faces that they didn't care about feedback. 
So, I mean, this is not how decisions were made. If decisions are now made, taking this feedback into account, that's great. If we actually achieve that, they, they re change that. I, I have, I'm, I'm skeptic, but if that's actually what they do now, that would be. This is actually all genuine and not just, you know, for show. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> uh, and then they have the myth developers don't play the game. And they actually include, like, uh, I think, screenshots of members of their staff. Yeah, and this, is, this all came out of that Russian yeah. guy that got booted. And, uh, yeah, I, 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 I kind of... Like that, that's sort of dogged them a bit since then. And honestly, I think we've gone over this in, in previous podcasts, but yeah, I'm kind of inclined to side with Wargaming on that one. But that, that, that felt like a very iffy conclusion based on, you know, not, not a lot of data. Yeah. The, the, the thing is that the reason why this move, in a sense, persists is because it just feels that way. Because the sad part is, like, a lot of decisions that they make, you feel like, if they've played this game, like, even, like, one battle yeah, or so and something, then why would you do this? It's like when you play a Conway game and you're like, look, if I flip the start and the end point in this map, it's much more balanced. I play this, this match once, and I already know this, right? And after I've played it 20 times, I still know this. And it's so bloody obvious, and it's like... And you look at this and how could this have been played by a developer? And he was like, yeah, this is fine. When literally this is all you needed to do to make it more balanced, maybe not perfectly balanced, but a lot better. And it's so simple things that you feel like if you played this one game, you would have noticed. So it doesn't feel like they played a game because of a lot of the decisions that they make. Mm. It's entirely possible that their department is just constantly overwritten and they're like, oh yeah, we should make this decision. They're like, no, 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 it's already fine. Yeah, I mean, we, we've as we've learned from various things, you know, it's quite a, it, well, it seems like it's quite a, a top-heavy management structure at Leicester. Yeah. So, it, you know, ultimately it's, it's the voices at the top that kind of can override even, you know, quite sensible suggestions and feedback. And it's... Now, now this is also why it gets like really hilarious, right? For example, when adding anti-submarine weapons to ships in the game, we initially decided to give them only to some of the branches so that this would become new national gameplay features. And yeah, on paper, players were not happy about this idea. However, even ideas that players not initially uh, like still need to be tested. And then basically they reversed that decision on player feedback. But it's like, this is where you really ask themselves, how can you play this game and think like, oh yeah, I feel like most ships should not be able to hurt submarines. That's like a mm. genius idea. Like what if, what if like from like with a 12 versus 12 and only four ships in this game can actually hurt the submarine? Genius move, right? It's, it's like you, you don't make me believe that you play your game if, <laughs> if you think like, yeah, nice. that, that needs testing. It feels like one of those, like that specific thing, it feels like one of those things where it was just an utter lack of perspective on, yeah. on something that they're sort of on the inside of and that they only have that perspective of being on the inside of and having that kind of 
uh, I guess, developer mindset of, you know, this is a feature, how can we, you know, implement this feature and et cetera, et cetera, as opposed to um, how players are going to experience said feature. And like from the player, yeah, from the player point of view, it, it, it seems like such a no-brainer of, of making subs immune to, you know, two-thirds of the enemy team unless they're on the surface. And that, that, I think it specifically went into that in the video. Like that, that was the initial concept they had that, well, yeah. um, it, it, like, you know, just subs are going to have to be on the surface sometimes. So people will shoot at them then. And, <laughs> and that's, that, that, that's fine. That's how it'll work. But yeah, it didn't. <laughs> yeah. But, and, and that's, that's one of the things that you find out in, but that's something that you should find out in internal testing, right? And that is where you say like, well, if the developers took that idea into like their own battles, right? And played internally with their idea, they should have realized very quickly that, oh, this is a terrible idea, right? I can understand that somebody on the whiteboard has the, although even that is already questionable, but maybe somebody who isn't playing that much. Or not playing at all. Anyway, somebody on the whiteboard feels like, hey, this could be a feature. And then you have people actually play it and try it. And they're like, no, 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 no. But Wargaming had to put it to the people, right? Even though they objected. And then they only accepted it was a bad idea. So once again, this is where we come back to that myth, right? It's because such simple things that you find out by playing the game and they don't find it out themselves. And it does also feel like another example of one of those times when we had to get quite a large, you know, overwhelmingly um, negative amount of of uh, community outcry against the thing for Wargaming to go, okay, we'll change that. And then they still didn't give it to everyone, right? I mean, the Yeah, Dutch it still, still took everything. several stages to get to the point where everyone has it except the Dutch cruisers. And Okotnik. And Okotnik. It's like, you know, and, and this is just one of those silly things where in, even in the end, they didn't completely cave in. They were like, no, the Dutch won't get it. I was <laughs> right. Not everyone needs anti-submarine warfare. I told you. <laughs> also, it feels like. Another thing that they um, particularly gave an example of here was Thunderer. And again, they were like, oops. Yeah, this we is... made a mistake after people for a, a long time, even even in testing, people going, yeah, this is this is a problem. And then, then taking quite a long time to A, acknowledge that there was a problem, and B, then do anything about the problem. Yeah, I mean, the thing is that they're trying to, to defend themselves, which it, it, uh, it's hard to find the, the, what causes the pains, right? And it was on the forefront of the miners working on solving on them. Look, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that this underway is doing too much damage in long range and sets too many people on fire and that you want to address it, right? It doesn't take, well, how long has the thunder actually been? Long time. Oh, yes, man. Yeah, it, it took them years to figure it. You can't tell me that you need to collect years of data to figure out that the Thunder uh, spamming long-range HE is not an enjoyable experience and that people are unhappy about that because they literally told them that. <laughs> mm. 
And it's one of those things where like, there's a problem. The people told you what the problem is. And they're like, yeah, I, I don't know. What, what about we get a data for three years and we'll come back to you on that. And it's, it's one of those difficult things. How could we, how, how too much high, high explosive on long range? How, how could that be addressed? I don't know. A nerf and anti amount? Oh, no, wait, that's Kremlin. It's like, once again, it's like obvious problems with obvious solutions and they can't, like, you know, I'm not even sure what to say about it, but it, it's, it's an obvious problem with an obvious solution, right? You can't get out of this by saying we needed to collect data for three years to figure that out. Yeah, there's definitely some weasel words in this example that they give, like the, the um, uh, if I remember, we just read it out and we can, you know, so um, a good example of a long but successful search for a solution to a balancing problem is the story of the battleship HMS Thunderer. Her playstyle, showering enemies with high explosive shells from long range, annoyed many players. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Based on past experience with other ships, we decided that the problem lay in her excessive popularity, which, you know, like, <laughs> why? 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 <laughs> to, to, yeah, okay, if it's, you know, that, then you change some characteristics. But instead, they went with the solution of, we're going to remove it from sale. <laughs> which, it's, I, I don't, it's one of those times where it just feels like, like what you were saying of, of that feeling almost of, they don't play their own game, surely. But, you know, the, the, I guess they had that, that, developer mindset, that producer mindset about it, rather than the player mindset about it. So, uh, yeah, and then uh, unfortunately, the diminishing popularity of the ship did not solve the problem. Of course it didn't. <laughs> it still had the same characteristics. It's not rocket science. It, it almost feels like a sort of Monty Python sketch. It's like they're yeah. like, this is the problem, so we've decided to ignore the problem and do something else. It didn't solve the problem. <laughs> so, yeah, they then get on to say that they eventually decided they were going to reduce the firing range. So the people that are playing at medium range and using a mix of AP and HE are not really affected, but the people that were just spamming HE at long range are then forced to get closer. So, yeah, that that's... That that is a prime example, and it doesn't it address it at all. Of of everybody just face palming about the obvious problem, and well, you know, to be fair, there were a couple of solutions they could have gone, but some very obvious solutions on yeah. it. In a really long time after them having first made a a, a completely weird decision that that didn't actually address the problem. So I don't know what they were hoping to highlight with this example other than sometimes they do things in a really weird backwards feeling way. I mean it feels like they're trying to show it once again feels like they don't really want to admit that they are wrong. They feel yeah. like hey, hey look, look we're self aware, we acknowledge it's a problem, but we're not going to, you know it, it feels like they're trying to sell this a success right? They feel like, look at this, we know how to do things, you just weren't aware of it. Now let me explain to you how expertly we've managed Thunder. Yeah. Because it had a problem, we identified the problem, we decided to ignore it. Then we get the data for three years, and then we decided to implement a fix. Aren't we great? 
Don't don't you understand now how great we are at this balancing thing? So that if this is propaganda, that almost feels like an own goal. <laughs> <laughs> They sometimes players create problems that ain't there in advance. Oh, that's obviously true. As, uh, like uh, Jedi Starshanol and with like the RPF thing, right? It's uh, sometimes things get overhyped or blown out of proportion because there's maybe one Twitch clip or something or so where, where something looks overpowered and then all people get up in arms about something that's not really a big deal. That, that's definitely true. And sometimes as a company, people, you have to filter that out. Even like th this is something where. Uh, it's kind of on us as content creators, and maybe not us yeah. specifically, because I don't think either of us are the kind of OMG, the drama type content creators, but some people are, you know, and that kind of thing, you know, it, it gets views. And uh, so it, it's quite easy. And this has happened to you know, numerous people over numerous game communities and other fields of anything where people have maybe started off doing one way and then just decided, oh, well, drama videos get more views. We'll just do all the drama videos. But there's not always drama, so sometimes you have to look, you know, things to create drama about. And I mean, it wasn't so... necessarily just call it drama. It's just that when you call a ship like, oh, my God, this is crazy. This is so good. This is so strong. Or, oh, my mm. God, this is so weak. This is like, if you go to the extremes, it attracts more people. If you make a video, this should be so mediocre. People are like, eh. But yeah, people want to see something something that's really strong or weak. If you try and have a more nuanced position, like, yeah, it, it, that's almost... I, I don't know how you get around that, really, because you can either have the nuanced position or you can have that kind of... Like, people seem to more want the kind of, you know, is it good or is it bad? And there's not really any kind of in-between thing. They just kind of want to know if it's one extreme or the other. So sometimes it isn't. But I mean, I don't know. That seems to be it, it what also gets It's all what the views on the one end. Also, I think it's it depends on what you evaluate the ship for, right? If you, for example, look at it from a competitive thing, either it's like in competitive, you don't care if a ship is close enough. You only want the best, right? So either it's the best or it's not. So it, it's almost a one-zero situation. Like, there are only two outcomes. Either it's it's good, and you'd take that in the competitive, or it's just not up for competitive, right? And this position is then obviously a bit more dramatized, because it might still be perfectly fine for random battles, right? But if you look at something for more competitive, it's like, okay, there is a ship that does the same thing better, why would I play it? Maybe I'd like the looks better, or some handling is better, or that there might be some, you know, personally... Preferences why you'd like another ship, even if it's not the top dog, right? But yeah, yeah. it's it's also that uh, overpowered draws. Like a lot of people just want to know what is the strongest ship, right? And they want to play that. Mm. They do end this by sort of making the point that you know game balance not is not set in stone, and things are changing over time, <laughs> and. It's kind of an obvious point to make, I suppose. But I mean, it's once again hilarious because they, they then they bring up the cell. I mean, they only buff the cell because people have nagging them for years, mm. and it's like that—that's something they should realize, right? Game balance is not sitting stone. That's the problem. They—they they seem to think that, not we seem to think, that, right? Because and the community is like, why can't you buff those old ships? And we're like, no, 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 no. 
And this is almost, yeah, it's going back to what they were supposedly saying earlier about, well, you know, player feedback is a thing that we take into consideration. And, uh, yeah, doesn't feel like it has so much in the past, though. Like, if there were cases, long-running cases like the, 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 the Zao, where clearly people, you know, enough people for it to have garnered this reputation as as being kind of left in the dust um, that, you know, it, it shouldn't take them so long to address this, but it, it really does. So, yeah. I mean, especially the if the stuff just happens. Yeah, I do. Got... I do like this this last bit there. They're sticking to their strategy of making only small changes. I've said in the past. I feel this is largely a positive thing. I know sometimes it can feel a bit silly. Two thousand hit points for the hour or whatever it was. I mean, the thing about small changes is that you need to re- apply them regularly, right? Hmm. What you then what I wanted, what I would like them to see is basically that they sort of focus on. One line, almost like one line at a time. They go like, okay, this month we're going to look at, I don't know, Japanese cruises and we go through all of the cruises and we look at all the changes that could possibly be needed then and then we adjust them, right? And it's like maybe focus one month uh, at the at line and try to bring up the old, the old lines back. And you need also like, you need a lot more frequent changes and not just a couple of random ships at some point where the community cries loudest. Because once again, they, 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 they claim the right things, like they say, oh, balance is not that in zone. Basically, you need to constantly monitor and adjust things, but that's exactly what they haven't been doing over the years. Yeah, if we, if we had some more, like, regular, if we had actual, um, proof, I guess, I don't know if that's quite the right word, but if they were actually, um, showing that they're doing this and and having like well tanks does this every every time there's a major patch you do end up with a whole list of sometimes you know minor tweaks and changes and world warships it's it's never really been like that and we're at that stage now where we have quite a lot of ships so actually it kind of feels like we should be getting more of these these maintenance buffs and nurse so this 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 is definitely an example where it feels like they're talking the talk, but they don't really walk the walk, which is probably the saying I was looking for in the beginning. But um, yeah, that that the the need to that they feel the need to give the examples of the Zhao and the Buffalo of of uh, of these kind of I guess you could call them maintenance changes. Well, it shouldn't these shouldn't be something notable. These should be just a regular kind of part of each patch. I would say. Yeah, I, I totally agree, right? This is something that uh, constantly needs to happen where like each patch you take a look at some of the ships and then make some make adjustments, right? So you constantly keep them up to date. And that's why there is so big backlog of, of ships that might need to change because they haven't done that over the past six years. There are certainly plenty of examples of, of, of ships that probably could do with even relatively minor tweaks to, to keep them relevant and, and fun. Because, you know, yeah. they have made some fairly, like even in just the last couple of years, you know, subs alone is a fairly major change. But aside from 
um, the, uh, the the depth charges. We've not really had any adjustments to other ships to try and like take account of that. And you know that that's just one example. I'm sure there's there's plenty of other things where you could you could point at and and, and say you know maybe this change over here should have resulted in some changes over here for these ships, but it never occurred. And so you end up with situations like the Zhao and the Buffalo, where it just becomes really dragged out and almost a meme. Yeah. Anyway, the next bit is uh, talking about how they develop new ships, new branches mm-hmm. of ships based on existing data. And they particularly gave the example of Shima's popularity influencing the creation of the European destroyers, which are very torpedo-focused. I mean, I, I, yeah, but I guess it kind of sounds obvious that if people like to play a sh- certain types of ships or so, then you would use that as inspiration for something else. Although I feel like, you know, Shima's popularity show that players are interested in purely torpedo and gameplay. A good Shima player is not purely about torpedoes, although a lot of the bad ones are. But the Shima offers a lot more than that. And I feel like this is one of the, I mean, obviously, might be interpreting too much in this one sentence. But if, if you understand the Shima cast, you understand that a lot of it is about the good concealment, the camp contesting, uh, and I mean, the guns are not worthless either. It's like a shimmer is, is a package of things and the torpedoes are just one thing. And what I think attracts most people is that it's a lot of torpedoes that hit very hard. So that's why they like it, because they can easily death strike things, right? Yeah. So I suppose that's... Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting, the example they, they give there, the, the, the torpedo-focused line, except the experience of then using those torpedoes is actually quite different so um but it, it's interesting to to see that that like put down in 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 cold hard pixels as it were that, that um they don't just um sort of throw ideas of of gimmicks at a wall and go right what what can we you know what what national tree can we pin these gimmicks to but they actually then sometimes take a lead from player data when it comes to designing new branches so it, it, it like they're pulling from different sources and kind of intermixing these uh these sources of ideas and i don't know it's just it, it's 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 not anything i suppose groundbreaking to read as a player but it, it's interesting to, to peek behind the curtain a little bit which is kind of what they're, they're doing here really I mean, generally, it's a good idea to look at what do people enjoy and then give them more of that, right? So the basic concept is a good one. See more. Question, of course, is are they properly identifying what draws people to something? And then are able to recreate that experience in a sense that's sort of the same but slightly different. But it's it's obviously a right approach. You look at what people like and you try to give them more of that. Coincidentally, they currently have found out people don't like sub, so they're trying to give us more of that. (laughs) 
they do. It, there is there is the, the the statement here which I kind of uh, strongly disagree with as the factual accuracy of it. For the same reason, we do not make ships that are too strong. Except, yeah, sometimes <laughs> you do. Sometimes you do. Uh, wouldn't it be nice if that were true? Yeah. And then, I mean, then... Yeah, the, part of this also, you know, what what I was talking about, like the the the, the gimmicks as they put it in this article, that yeah. you know that that that, that is, and you know, and anybody that's played this game for any length of time or followed the game for any length of time would be able to tell you that that the national flavor is is kind of a, a key element of um, or you know, branch flavors is, is a key element of of how they design things in World Warships, and that very directly carries over from. From World of Tanks in terms of that, that design philosophy, so that's that's definitely not news to anybody, I don't think. I mean, I've personally never had that big of a like. The, the thing is, and I have to agree with Wargaming, that you some you somehow you need to make ships different, right? And it's not like if you basically have the the say like it's it, just adding a gun more or less and changing the reload a little bit, ships might still play entirely like the same if you want to make like keeping something balanced but different is very hard right because how how are you tweaking the stats to to give you a different experience but keeping it balanced the easiest way is if you want to make something new is to add a new feature like you know a smoke screen that moves with you or a dutch airstrike or so because it actually changes how you play the ship and the thing is, if you just make like a regular ship, then people will be like, this is boring. Why would I play that, right? I have already five like those. So people will complain with or without gimmicks. So I, I'd agree that gimmicks are sometimes fine. But it's, it's coming up with new things. With, the, the, the main issue is obviously how interesting are they and how strong are they and how balanced are they and how fun are they to, to use or use against. It's more like the gimmick design itself that I'd say might be sometimes questionable. The idea that you design a ship line around something, I'm okay with that. Yeah, it, it's that's that's one where it's hard to make any blanket statements because sometimes things the, the gimmicks work quite well, and other times they're yeah. kind of questionable or they feel too niche. But overall, I'd, I'd say they've—they've. They've, I'll, I'll give Wargaming this. You know, they've done quite a good job of, with some exceptions. So this is not a universal thing, but you look at any given branch, and they tend to have relatively consistent gameplay. But like I said, there are definitely examples where that's not true, where you have an odd ship or two that just stick out like a sore thumb in terms of their playstyle compared to the rest of the ships of the line. true that's one of the things that like i mean i've played world of tanks in a long time but back when i played it it was like i mean every line basically started out with like light tanks and then sometimes mm. you had a scout tank mixed in that had like the special scout matchmaking and you had and you maybe you just wanted to go to medium tanks or even a heavy tank and suddenly you had to play through the scout tank in the scout matchmaking that nobody explained to you and you were confused 
then you are fail division with your friends because they were the same tier as you, which doesn't work because you've scout matchmaking. Yeah, and it for, was like a for mess. a long time. There was no indication in the game that it was different <laughs> before they they regularized all that kind of stuff. So yeah, that that was uh, that was definitely a failure of uh, of uh, giving players inf information that was necessary. What else have we got in this? With the myth that developers give preference to a particular niche. No, oh, yeah, I think it was them trying to address that very, very old notion of Russian bias. Which, to me, I mean, there are some specific Russian ships that are really strong, but there's, there are specific other ships of other nations that are really strong as well. So it's one of these almost self-fulfilling... Well, I don't think Wargaming's ever going to get away from that just because they're a Russian company. I mean, yes, the Wargaming have like Thunder Row or Belfast, so there are plenty of ships that are overpowered that are not Russian. But I have to say this, the, the, the thing is, of, I think what gets people in this case is that the Russian Navy just wasn't that great during the World War, during World War II, right? And despite that, they often seem to have like the most advanced things in the game, like the 12-kilometer Russian radar or so on, they basically, they, they've taken a, a sort of weaker navy and made it exceptional. And that that obviously creates like already the feeling of like, wait, wait a moment, why are the Russian ships suddenly on the top, right? That, I mean, that they have the, the past from World of Tanks, which unfairly carried over at the start, I guess. And... Then, of course, I think they had a few early issues like Gremyachny. Yeah. Which was sort of balanced at the start, but it was balanced for a different game, right? After three <laughs> Minakasa nerfs, the Minakasa was certainly no longer as strong as a Gremyachny. So it, it, it's like then they had, like, early on, I think, the Imperator Nikolai. So they made a few Russian OPs early on that didn't help them, but generally speaking, it was never that. But I also have to say Russian ships have to have been very consistently strong. The Russian destroyers, they have been outpower creeped, but when they were released, they were pretty decent. They nerfed Kabarovsk, I think, a few yeah, times. Yeah, Kabarovsk, like, early in its life, was an absolute demon, really. You, like, you... you... I mean, these days we have um, the French destroyers and we have other things that can run around and pew-pew in the open and, and have decent speed. But back then there was really nothing else like it. And you would have, like, it was one of the more annoying, if not the most annoying high-tier ships to face off against. Because yeah. especially if you were in something uh, relatively inaccurate, like a battleship or even some of the cruisers, you know, you just had no hope of actually hitting it, and it'd be running around and setting fires on you constantly. Yep. And uh, it, it's with the various changes they've had now, it's just absolutely—it's almost a different ship in terms of how it fits in with the game these days. And it's gotten to the point where, rather than try and balance it further, they've just kind of gone, "No, we're going to replace it." <laughs> and We'll see how that works. But yeah, yeah I'd say the, the Russian destroyers, they were pretty strong when they were released, even though they are no longer today. The Russian cruisers, back, back in the day, right, the range was, a, they were pretty strong as well. Like, I remember, like, when the Germans also came out, the Russian cruisers, like, the long range is not something that the Japanese or the US had. 
So that mm. was a very special feature that made Cruiser play a lot easier because you could keep more distance to battleships and so on. I feel like they, they might not have been now necessarily powered by release in a while. I can't quite remember, but they, they were they were pretty solid too, right? They they weren't in any way on the weaker. Then uh, they had obviously the and I mean. By now, they have replaced the, some of the crews, like they have replaced uh, Moskva with the Petro, which is obviously too strong. Then we had the, the whole starting crowd thing for a long time. Then we have, uh, was it this? Kutusov or so at tier 8 that has been removed with its smoke fire thingy. Then we have the, the battleships that came out too strong. And then their reaction to it was like to nerf Antia. It's also like those reactions, like they release something that's overperforming and it's sort of like, yeah, okay, you're right, we need to balance it. They're like, well, how, how about we change the NTM? And Petro, yeah, how, we how about we balance the thing that has absolutely almost no bearing on how well it performs? Okay. Moskva is weak. Well, Moskva is weak compared to Stalingrad and Petro. <laughs> But yeah, like, uh, as I've said, like, the Russian cruisers were pretty solid when they came out, right? I've just introduced even better Russian cruisers since then. The battleships were, were very strong. The carriers now are very strong. So basically, you have to say that all the Russian lines that they release are just top-tier solids, right? And only the, the destroyers have been out-power creeped, and they are getting, like, the, the cover-offs changed. So... They call it a myth, but unfortunately the facts are... <laughs> and yeah, as, as also Manuel Waters pointed out, when you see King of the Seas, uh, also like since the Moscow has been replaced, when you, when you see like that uh, basically uh, a team has like almost only Russian ships in it, you go like, really? I think overall, though, that that is definitely uh, firmly in, in the mean territory of Russian bias. I mean, it's, it's kind of almost amusing to me the fact that they they thought this was something they had to address. I mean, the problem the, is yeah. they they aren't helping themselves with the way they're releasing ships because when they release a new Russian ship, it tends to be very strong, even if it's not necessarily overpowered. It's like you know the the. It's not like an Italian battleship line where they don't seem to care about this. It's like when it's Russian, it just consistently performs. I mean, it isn't quite what they're saying, but maybe for their home audience, if you like, they take a little bit more time and care when it comes to balancing ships before they come out, perhaps? Maybe? Maybe it could be put that way? I feel like, you know, when I said balancing is sort of exists in a bracket, I feel like when they design something Russian, they try to balance it on the upper part of the bracket, and when they de develop something else, they don't care where in the bracket it's it's yeah. So uh, the next 
part is uh, talking about testing and the process of uh, testing and gathering feedback yeah. for test chips. Yeah, so so basically they first let loose like the super testers and yeah, community contributors and kind of, I think super testers are even first for them. Of course they have the internal testing as they said earlier, and then they give out service and direct one in ways keep the current concept and begin balancing the ship to bring it to try the efficiency or completely abandon the concept and do something else. That's an interesting one. What's the last time that I've actually completely abandoned a concept, no matter the feedback? Feels like they stopped doing that like three years ago. Hmm. Because we, we definitely as contributors we saw a lot of feedback of this idea isn't quite working. You should change it or you should try it with a, a different one and they were like, no, no, this is fine. Basically all the time. I think the only specific example I can think of was the um, what was it called at the time? The Pabeda? Which kind of then morphed to, to become the Slava. Uh, yeah. Which they, I don't know if they, like, they didn't completely drop it, but they they shelved it for a really long time before anything similar saw the light of day. And, like, that, I think what we have now is probably quite toned down to the testing that we had at first where it was it just felt laser accurate at range and it was squashy enough that you you that, like, that mm -hmm. was the only way to play it you couldn't really get up close because you would just die instantly so you were forced into that very long range snipey play style and wargaming had the idea that because some people like to play like that then we all cater to that even though it isn't necessarily a healthy thing for the game but it certainly wasn't fun to play against. So uh, I mean, it's still sort of yeah. that just just a bit tuned down. Tuned down, yeah. So that, yeah, like I said, the concept never truly went away. But um, I can't think of any any other like there probably is one or two other specific examples. So I'm trying I mean, to think. Concepts that have changed, but those were not recently, were like the, the German destroyers who were all uh, back in the day invisible firing that they changed very shortly before release. Yeah, that came, came out just before they made that global change and that sort of quite dramatically affected how one played them. Um, I mean, they throw away the concept and then, but they, they, I mean, they've screwed up there because they didn't test a new concept properly, but they just last minute threw it was a last minute where they changed the concept. Hmm. The British cruisers is where they changed the concept rather early, where they removed the high explosive, where they found like smoke spamming high explosive line is a bad idea for the game. Something that yeah. you can't even imagine that today's wargaming even say the words, but back in the day they said a smoke spamming high explosive frame is not a good concept, so they, they actually threw away the concept. I think it made everyone particularly aghast when when Smolensk came along for that very reason, because they had specifically removed the high explosive from the British cruisers, and they had removed from sale Belfast for that exact reason. And then they came, they came along and went, "Well, you know, it's fine. It's not that big a deal, really." Here's the Smolensk, and uh, yeah, I mean, you don't like 
it's tone. It, it, it's I think like you still see them quite often, but it, it was really it felt really bad for a while. We'd have small yeah. end score two small legs in high tier games pretty reliably, and it was just not fun at all. And um, yeah, it, it it really did feel like they just kind of completely ignored all of their earlier decision making on that particular thing in that instance um yeah yeah Yeah, to me it feels like that back in the day basically they actually did like this is something that they used to do for me it feels like right back in the day they evaluated their concepts and they were willing to throw it out if it didn't fit in the game it received a lot of feedback back in the day because it feels like when we in the early days of contributor days, it feels like actually valued feedback and listened, right? And they were willing to change concepts. Also something that comes in mind is Massachusetts. Massachusetts started out as a uh, clone yeah. of like in Alabama. People were like, this is boring, do something else. Then they made something weird that absolutely didn't work. People were like, this makes yeah, no there sense. Yeah, there was a rolling ship with like a really weak citadel or something like that, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and I think like at a, a, a damage con that ran a little bit longer and then had a massive like cooldown where you couldn't like damage con anything and were just fodder for floods and stuff. And yeah, they, they, they had a few things that made no sense. And in the end, I made it into a brawler, right? But they abandoned at least two concepts, basically, during Massachusetts development based on feedback. So it feels like, like back in the day, they actually did this, right? They, they had a concept, they, they tested it, they collected feedback, and if it didn't work, they were willing to throw it. But in recent years, they have a concept, people tell them it's a bad idea, they test it, it's a bad idea, they're like, we go with it. Yeah, and it sort of feels like it, it is quite relevant at the moment with subs where despite them having said, you know, the, the the fallback is if it doesn't work, then we'll just remove them. But it doesn't at any point feel like that's been a serious option. Yeah. And we're going to get them no matter what. It's once again, as you said, like this whole article reads like in many ways how we don't do it, but how balancing should have been done. Yeah, this is, this is how some wargaming in an alternate universe does things. <laughs> like they make the appropriate noises, but their actions just doesn't really comply with any of what they write. Like that's why I found this starts amusing because basically in the very first article that I uh, wrote first uh, paragraph, they describe balancing as something that they explicitly don't do. Oh, well. I mean, they go on about if the concept doesn't fit, then they tweak it to, to make the concept so, or change the concept and so on. Like you said, that doesn't seem like it happens very often at all. Although an example would be the um, wasn't the initial idea for the Palo Emilio quite different from the um, the, um, the the CC summit 
Because that that was kind uh, of like you know, was that the Paolo Emilio or was that something else? I mean, I I wasn't at the summit, so no. I mean, I just just generally because I'm pretty sure the uh, the Paolo Emilio was was like they asked the CCs that were present to come up with you know mm-hmm. an idea for a ship as a kind of like an exercise, and then they they uh, they took it away and said they were going to implement it in some form, and the some form that it got implemented in was quite different in the end to the point where it didn't really have much in common with that initial idea at all so yeah there, there wasn't I, really much of a, a through thread from from the idea that you know the, the ccs uh-huh. will put something in the game well not really. i i'm not sure it's like i don't remember but if they changed the concept back then it would also have been a while ago i mean back back in the day like as, as I said, it feels like in the early days, warships was willing to to try concepts and change them if needed. It's just that in the recent years, whatever, like we just throw everything out. Why not? Partly, it might be just the stage that the game is at and that the studio themselves are at, where it, they're more thinking about, um, in terms of like. In the earlier days, it was how do we how do we grow the audience? How do we or, you know, grow the player base? How do we uh, um, add more stuff but keep it fun for people? And then these days, it's more well, we've invested this much in developing X, and we're not just going to drop it. So let's plow on. <laughs> I mean, I also feel like they've in many ways developed themselves into corners, right? Because uh, they they have. They just kept introducing too many currencies, like from free experience, doubloons, coal, steel, research points. You the need ships. <laughs> well, I mean, the problem is you need to fill all of those with ships, right? If you only have mm-hmm. silver and doubloon ships, you need to design two kinds of ships. If you have five currencies, you need to design only five ships, right? To, to recently stock all of those things. And... Uh, the faster people collect like coal and so on, the more often you need to throw out a coal ship to like deplete the coal stocks, right? In a sense. So it's it's the way they've they've developed the game. They force themselves into creating more and more ships, and that just means they don't take as much care with the individual ships. They can't really spend the time and effort to make a proper ship because they're like, oh damn it, we we need a new coal ship. Uh, 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 um. Uh, this thing floats. Okay. I mean, we've had indications also that the the production pipeline uh, is kind of fairly divorced from that. So they're they're developing ships for however long it takes. You know, a year, two years, whatever, uh, in, including all the you know the intensive stuff like modeling or whatever. Um, and it's only relatively late in the process that they know that, you know, well, this is going to be a coal ship, this is going to be a free XP ship or whatever. Yeah, true, but, like, they, they need a lot of ships to, to throw out, right? So, basically, they have this huge ship factory, in a sense, that just constantly needs to push out ships. Mm. Basically, they say, like, I don't know, we need, like, five five new premiums in a month or so on. And then in the, they look at the data and, like, this this is not coal, this is no things, but they basically, they've moved from handcrafting ships into more of an industrial ship factory where it's just, you know, the quality doesn't matter this much. If it looks like a ship and it floats at least for five minutes, then we can call it a ship. And the only thing that matters is that we produce enough per, per month, right? 
one wonders, yeah, one wonders a bit how potentially different things could be if there was a kind of almost a deliberately slower pace and maybe, as you say, you know, fewer currencies to try and and fill up with with ships if we would maybe have a more developed or more balanced feeling game overall. So it, 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 like the, the, the focus, maybe even more so than the early game, like it, 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 it sometimes feels like there's almost too much coming out at the same time. Yeah, I mean, and, you definitely uh, lose track of all the stuff yeah. that gets released. And most of them is just, you know, it feels like mediocre filler content and you see once and forget. And like when, when you look at, at the actual games, there are so, so many ships that you basically see for a week and then they disappear because people tried them out and they were like, yeah. Some of that's definitely tied into, we definitely talked about this previously, but with the, uh, the pre-release missions and all that, and then people getting them early, and yeah, and then just going back to the ships that they actually enjoy playing, kind of thing. Yeah, it, it, it's a bit weird because you like you right now. If you oh well, the, the German event is sort of over in that sense, but it's like you want to unlock the Germans. You don't need to play the Germans to unlock the higher tiers. So you you basically play the ship that like you had this personal missions right. And you wanted to play uh, maybe a Japanese destroyer, where there was the easy experience mission, and then a Japanese battleship, and then a Japanese cruise, and then you wanted to play a US destroyer and a US cruise and a US battleship, and you you know to to farm the tokens most efficiently. So it, once again, then you unlock the German ships by not playing the German ships. So it's uh, it's either, you know you, you don't really grind through the line; you just play other ships to unlock them and then you have them in your port and then you're less motivated to play the tier 5 or tier 6 or tier 7. You already have the tier 8 or something. Yeah. Yeah, definitely at, at that point you're sort of more stuck in the loop of being a content mill than actually, you know adding stuff that adds good gameplay. Potentially, anyway. Yeah, I mean, it felt like, you know, they had, like, the, the sort of the free content, they released a new ship line, and it, I mean, also, it took a lot longer to grind back then, right? So you had a new ship line, and maybe you spent a month or two or whatever, like, if you're a casual player, you could spend half a year or so grinding a new ship line, right? So they didn't need to release ship lines necessarily all that often anyway, because a ship line was a huge amount of new content for a lot of people to go through. And then they just uh, had the premiums where they made money and then they sold maybe uh, and according a premium to the new ship line or, you know, every few months they had a new premium coming out that people might be interested in and buying and people had time to focus on that and maybe read reviews on that and people knew about the ship because there was only one new premium coming out and so on. And this has all sort of gone away where they just... There isn't any like free grinding anymore, or barely any, because you you play things and you do missions and you unlock stuff that you then don't need to play. <laughs> it's like they 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 develop themselves out of their own content. So what they do is they try to throw as much stuff out as possible. Constantly have a new pre-release event. Constantly have a new premium. Constantly just just throw things out to keep up with the bad decisions.
Yeah, I don't really see how they, they could get themselves out of that now they're in that kind of that loop, as you put it, that they've painted themselves into this corner. I mean, they just need to change how they do pre-release stuff. I mean, the currencies are a bit of an issue because it's also like the way they design currencies is you can farm them sort of simultaneously at a point, like everything you do sort of gives you coal in a sense. And steel is only ranked, right? But if you do ranked, you'll also get the coal and you'll also get the free experience in a sense. So you kind of farm free currencies at once. So they need to stock free sort of markets that the players farm simultaneously. So they don't even have to focus on one currency. We're almost at the end of this. So the last section yeah. is uh, the rock, paper, scissors principle, which again, very much a, a carryover from the design philosophy of World of Tanks originally. I mean, it's arguable whether that actually applies to World of Tanks anymore or even has vaguely so for a long time. But that was kind of their initial thought of, you know, X would counter Y and Y would counter Z and Z would counter X kind of thing. I mean, the thing is that I feel like they are thinking in wrong terms there because first of all, they've developed the game too broad for that to work because not every destroyer is basically fulfilling the same role and not every cruiser is the same role. So you can't have it like, I don't know, destroyer counters battleship, battleship counters cruiser, cruiser counters destroyer in that sense, right? Mm. You can't have an easy circular thing because the different ships in every class perform very differently and fulfill different roles. And also I feel like they need to look more at it from, from a role perspective of this, this ship is, can be a tank. This ship can be a, like a support, like cap contest or spotting. This is a, like a radar support. This ship focuses solely on damage because that's something that actually is much more important in the game, right? By accident or by design, they have created certain roles that the team needs to be successful. And that's really what they should focus on. Yeah, um, I don't know how you do that though exactly. I mean, like change up how matchmaking treats certain ships. So instead of just like cruiser destroyer battleship, it, it's more kind of like X number of you know it matches up brawling battleships versus radar cruisers versus you know unstealthy destroyers kind of thing where it, it, it's sort of matching role to role uh, as uh, and not just type to type kind of thing. I but, mean, it, that would make the matchmaking in a way better, but it's not just that. I feel it's from a de design philosophy, right? And it's the problem that they run into currently with the submarines. Wargaming thinks of this like, who should counter submarines and who should submarines counter? They don't think of it like what's the place in the game, right? Wargaming mm -hmm. doesn't look at the game and be like, okay, submarines should should be doing that job. They should be played this way. They only look at it from, like, I mean, the, the game is more of just, in a sense, one-on-one -on -one fights. The game is, it's even though there is very little teamwork in it, there is actually a lot of roles and teamwork and a lot of, well, sort of complexity in how the game plays. And they ignore all that, and they they just look at a very simple principle of who beats what. And considering that 
battleships are the best to counter submarines. They're probably not even very good at that. Yeah. It, it's it's ended up in a bit of a weird place where where like oh you know like subs in this game are kind of a parody of of real life subs anyway. And the fact that you've got these subs zipping around the place and the the best counter to those subs is battleships. It's just okay. <laughs> That's where we are, I suppose. Feels a bit weird. And it feels like you always come back to the feeling that, that developers don't really play their game because I feel like you notice that that you know sort of battleships are the ones that counter subs and you wanted destroyers to counter subs. It's it's like that this how does this work in, in, in their own logic, right? Like this is something that's pretty obvious if you play the game. And then there is like, I feel like once again, the rock, paper, scissors principle, it should be more like the tank damage dealer support principle, because that's more what the game operates. Mm. Although su su support can be in many ways from like radar support to, to line smoke screens to do spotting and so on, I feel like. And every ship does damage in that part. But if a ship's pure contribution in a sense is damage, then it should be very consistent in that. It's like if they actually focused on roles that ships can fulfill, then, and you feel like, you know, this is one of the things, if you play this game, you can't not realize that there are certain roles that need filling. Submarine Hunter. <laughs> it would be a fairly substantial change in, in I think, how they go about designing things in the game. Definitely. Yeah, maybe maybe you're right, you know, maybe maybe, maybe that's that's what the game could really truly do with is this that that kind of shift. But I just given what we know about how wargaming operates, I don't know if I think it's that likely that that kind of shift would happen without Basically, somebody new coming into a kind of senior producer position or management position and going, right, this is now how I want things to be done. Yeah, I I remember I had an argument like when, when uh, I think it was the day I with, I don't remember with whom from Wargaming, not that it matters, but I had an argument where I tried to point out that they they were like uh, sniping is a valid playstyle for battleships and we need to like you know provide something for sniping and my point was sniping is a valid playstyle for battleships only if there are other battleships that take like the pushing and tanking shot because you need sometimes someone to lead a charge and cruisers just get uh, low penned and overmatched they they can't fulfill the job obviously you can't send a destroyer to I mean a destroyer can be there to do some topping but it's not like the ship that pushes in. You need the battleship's uh, health pool and armor or so to do that. And that's if, if, you know, it's a role that only a battleship can fill. And if none of your battleships are willing to do that, then you're probably going to lose, right? Mm -hmm. So sniping battleship is something that you can have if it's encountered by somebody else who, who like, takes the role. Not every battleship needs to be a brawler, but you need some of, or tank, right? But you need some of them to do the tanking job. And they 
they didn't like want to ex- accept this point. It's like for that doesn't compute in their brain, right? For them, it's like you know, ship is ship, and you play a ship I want, and they almost sometimes I feel like wargaming doesn't understand that not every combination of ships is equally good as another combination of ships. Ship is not, you know, ship. They have roles. So it's it's I think it's it's a. Uh, it's an empty dream that they'll ever realize that, but hey. Well, that I think that's about it for that article. I don't know if there's much else to say otherwise. I mean, it's just kind of like what you said at the start. It's nice that we're at least getting this much, but having, having picked through it, that definitely feels a, like a... In some places, anyway, uh, a fairly big disconnect between what they're writing and um, how things really are in the game. Yeah, it's it's to a large degree on what you'd want to hear. I mean, I don't agree with everything they write, but to a large degree, it's how this is how a game should be balanced. But this is not what we actually do in kind of article. Because you can write as much as you want, but if your actions just contradict that, then, you know, it's just empty words. And what, what's said is that they are not saying this is our commitment, how we are going to do things in the future. They try to pretend that this is how they're doing things. Yeah. So it's, it's, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I'm that, uh, positive at the end of all this <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's more like you know a bit of an you get a chuckle out of it or maybe a cry and you move on with your life and it probably won't change anything what they are doing i'm afraid but if they ever actually you know want wanna follow through with what they write it would be a positive change for the game yeah definitely We can hope. <laughs> it's all we can do. All right, so shall we wrap things up then? This, this is actually yeah. this, this is one of those ones where at the start I was like, oh, this might be a shorter <laughs> one. We probably won't have that much to talk about. Yeah, okay. I should know better. I should know better. O- over two hours later. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I guess we just wrap it up. Then thanks, everyone, for watching. And we'll be back next week. Bye. Bye.